Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Well, good morning and welcome to episode 36, I do know the number, (laughs) of the Wisdom of the Soul presented by the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm Michael Benner, and uh, I was just telling Melinda here before we started, the, the heater came on in the desert this morning, so it is definitely autumn. We went from triple digits less than a month ago to uh, cool temperatures overnight into the 50s. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be with you and uh, hope you're now that uh, you've recovered from your sugar high at Halloween. Looking forward to the holidays of uh, Thanksgiving and uh, did I say griving? Thanksgiving? That'll do. And. Uh, Christmas and Hanukkah and New Year's and Solstice and Kwanzaa and I'm not sure what all is packed into the end of the year. It's really about Solstice, isn't it? And uh, so we've gone to standard time. The days are going to be much shorter as we move into the winter. And I guess, uh, as I understand it, next spring, when we jump forward to daylight saving time again, that at least most states, uh, that'll be it. I think I think that's it. We're going to be in daylight time forevermore from that point on. We'll see, but I think that's the deal. Today's class is going to be really esoteric. Uh, I say that because uh, it's a challenge for me to talk about today's topic, which is mindfulness and being. Being mindful, but being a being rather than a doing. So because this is a difficult topic, I'm, uh, what am I doing? I guess I'm appealing. (laughs) I'm appealing to you for understanding. Um, We're going to talk on the level that few people ever talk. And yet, uh, the challenge to me as a teacher is always to make this information accessible, to break it down in an easy, breezy kind of a way so that it's, uh, you know, well, accessible is a great word for it, uh, so that it's a value to you and you can begin to practice. So, if you read the newsletter this week, you know, I riffed a little bit on the fact that we're called human beings were not called human doings. And that may sound a little silly and easy to dismiss, but think about how much of our lives are organized around doing. The never-ending to-do list. I don't know anybody that has a to-be list, right? 
not Shakespeare, to be or not to be, uh, what does it mean simply to be and not have to do quite so much? Now, there's a voice that rises up immediately and says, yeah, what are you talking about? I, I have so much to do that needs to be done. I've got to pay bills every month. I've got bills, mortgage, rent, utilities, car payment, food, my God. And I've got to generate some sort of income if I'm going to pay those bills. And that usually means uh, some form of employment and work and pleasing the boss, making sure I'm a, a valued worker. So how do we just put all of that down and be? Well, how about for 15 minutes at a time? It's not selfish, I guess is what I'm saying. It's not selfish at all to take 15 minutes of your day. What is that, 1% of a 24-hour day? Somebody do the math. It's an extremely small sliver of your day devoted to meditation on the idea of simply being. So we're going to do an opening meditation along those lines, and then uh, we'll talk more about doing and being and what are our options and what does it mean to simply be, and moreover, to shed the personality. Part of being is shedding the idea that you're a separate individual. When the meditation ends and you come back into your body, so to speak, and your sense of being an individual with a, a name and a place that you live and in a world of separated objects and forms, it's okay to identify as the separated self, but you carry with you, nevertheless, a deeper understanding that you're much more than that, that you have always existed and that you will never die, that energy and consciousness, awareness, love is energy. It cannot be created nor destroyed. It's a simple law of physics, and it's a simple law of metaphysics. There is no beginning, and there is no end. And if there was a Big Bang, it wasn't the beginning of anything except maybe another chapter uh, that can be debated and pondered and reflected upon. But... Even then, that's a material world. That's a material universe. And we're talking about the energy, the consciousness, the awareness behind the veil. That is eternal and infinite. And that's who and what we are. So that's sort of the lines that we're going to move along today. It's wonderfully liberating concept. And again even if you can only carve out a quarter of an hour once a day, that, that's a big deal to devote 15 or 20 minutes to meditation every day. And it'll have a carryover effect, a wonderful uh, contentment, a calmness, a tranquility that goes with it. So with that, let's do our meditation. Close your eyes. Get comfortable in your chair, sit up, shoulders back, 
Feel balanced and centered. Bring this sense of wholeness and fulfillment and peace, loving kindness, compassion for yourself and others with you effortlessly back into the room. Count yourself out one to three. First, by simply forming the intention to return. Secondly, a kind of a rising up, as if waking up. And three, eyes open, wide awake, back in the room. Three is eyes open, feeling better than before, better and better. Wide awake, back in the room. Alrighty. <laughs> Wasn't that nice? I hope, you, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Mindfulness is easier to talk about than being. So let's start there with a simple definition of what mindfulness means. And uh, then we'll talk a little more about being as opposed to doing. Again, I want to repeat, if briefly, and acknowledge that there's stuff that we do have to do. <laughs> we, we, we have to live in the world, but we need not be of the world. And it's not unlike an actor. What did Shakespeare say? Uh, All the world is a stage and we are but players with our entrances and our exits. And uh, it occurs to me we're also the audience and we own the theater and we're the janitor that sweeps up afterward and we're the producer and we're the critic and uh, aren't we the critic though? We play all these roles in this big psychodrama that is me and my life. And gosh, how much of what passes for conversation is wasted on this pity party of, uh, you know, I really want love and acceptance, but um, I'll settle for sympathy if I could just get you to pay attention to my suffering. And how hard things are, and 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 how hard I worked, and and uh, how unfair life is, and then let's put a name and a face on it. Let's begin to point fingers and accuse other people of being responsible for our unhappiness. It often occurs to me, I don't know that I've ever been dissuaded from this view, that the vast majority of what passes for Politics, you put air quotes around that, is just disgruntled human beings looking outside of themselves for an excuse to be disgruntled, <laughs> for an excuse to be upset, for some reason why you're not happy. And it's like, well, I'm not willing to consider the possibility that I have anything to do with my unhappiness. Why would I make myself unhappy? That's that's crazy. I wouldn't do that, really. Are we sure? Are you sure that you're not the prime mover in your unhappiness, your anxiety, your frustrations and irritations? Are we that 
focused on the outer world, that it's always this person or that group or some circumstance that is the reason why I'm not happy and, and joyous. Happiness for no reason to me is joy. That's what joy is. Where did we ever get the idea that we need a reason to be happy? Children don't believe that they need reasons to be happy. They're happy for no reason. So what happens in childhood? What, where is the point or the zone? Seems like school has a lot to do with it, the way we're socialized and educated and taught to be consumers and worker bees and cogs in a giant machine of production and consumption, earning and spending. Where did we learn we need a reason to be happy? You know, I can't answer that because I think it's a million things. But I know it's not true. Generally speaking, emotions don't rise up for reasons. Sometimes you could, you know, cast about and figure out a reason why you feel the way you feel, good, bad, or otherwise. In fact, few people have any approach to understanding their emotional feelings other than thinking about them. But as we discussed a couple of months ago in this class, when we talked about the difference between cognition and emotion, between thought and feeling, these are two distinct forms of intelligence. One very objective thought about the world around us, one very personal, very subjective. That's the emotional intelligence. Doesn't tell you much at all about the world, tells you about yourself. Your thoughts don't tell you very much about yourself. Or almost exclusively for understanding the world. Why are we not taught that? Seems simple enough. If there is a single basic distinction, and there are many, but if it boiled down to one basic entry point to understanding the difference between thoughts and feelings, that's it. Thoughts are objective. Feelings, emotional feelings are so well. Not only emotional feelings, physical feelings as well, (laughs) for that matter, are subjective. And yet, by thinking about our feelings, we're using the wrong tool, the wrong instrument, the wrong intelligence. And what we end up doing is obsessing on the stimulus, obsessing on the person or the group or the event or the circumstance, the conditions that are arising which caused, seemingly, that stimulated the feeling. So wouldn't my emotional upset, irritation, frustration, hurt, heartache, whatever, tell me about the cause out there that's coming at me and that I have to constantly defend myself against? Emotions are not for understanding the stimulus. They're for understanding the response. Emotions are a response. So all that work can be put aside. (laughs) You don't have to do any of that. You don't have to understand why you feel the way you feel. You don't have to slice it and dice it and figure it out. I'm not sure 
people are telling us that, or I know it's not likely to just occur to you, or maybe to you, but certainly not most others. Again, happiness for no reason. How about anger for no reason? How about loneliness for no reason? How about apathy for no reason? They're just feelings that rise. So I explain, what's the reason for the sunny day today, and it's cloudy the next day, and then it's sunny again? What's the reason for that? Well, we could launch into some discussion of weather and weather patterns and cold fronts and high-pressure areas and low-pressure areas. But really, is that really where you want to go when it comes to understanding or just experiencing the weather as it is for no reason? Do you have to figure it out? Do you have to judge it? So mindfulness is sitting in the present moment which is rich and full. There's nothing boring about the present moment. There are no boring moments. There are boring people, but there are no boring moments. If you say, I'm bored, then change yourself, (laughs) not the world. Everything is fascinating. Everything is wondrous. You want your life to be wonderful, full of wonder, then wonder. To sit without judgment in the present moment. All right, so anytime I think about the past, if I'm practicing mindfulness, that's a distraction. Anytime I'm drawn to consider the future, that's a distraction. The only thing that's real is the eternity of the present moment as it unfolds. Wonder about that. Watch it unfold. Watch each moment passing. Every instant is is fresh and new, don't you see? Every instant your life is born again. Why would you not be fascinated at the changes, at the newness? at the freshness, at your consideration, your realization that everything is in flux. Nothing is static. But within that, there's constant flux, constant change. The definition of the larger reality is that which is permanent unchanging and self-shining, radiant, perpetual creation, recreation, right? So the larger reality, the definition of philosophers, East, West, Middle East from time out of mind, if it's real, it can't be changing and it, and it can't be impermanent. How could it be real if it's always changing or if it doesn't last? If it has a beginning and has an end, it can't be real. You can argue that. You can think about that later. You can spend lots of time pondering that. I suggest you do. I'm not Moses giving you laws carved on stone tablets. 
I'm telling you about a consensus beyond organized religion. Let's call it a metaphysical consensus. So anything that is changing, that is impermanent, could not be real. So within this reality, there is all this conflict and all this change and this appearance of uh, separation and individuality. The practice of mindfulness is so wonderful because it frees you from having to worry about that, from, from having to figure it out, from having to protect yourself and guard against it. Practice of mindfulness will put you in touch with how much of your life to date is about fear, anxieties, and stresses either solving problems or protecting you from harm or at the very least gossip and worrying about what other people think and might be saying. And isn't it just so exhausting? Now you're a human doing. You're not being. You're not a human being. You don't have time to be. You're too busy trying to set everything right and protect yourself to build walls to plug the dike, to get the dust bunnies out from under the bed. I, I, stuff we do have to do, but you don't have to be so stressed out about it as if, gosh, if only I could get to a place of accomplishment, if only I could attain some level of peace, I could relax and do these meditation. No, no, that's not... <laughs> it's it's just like mental chatter. You don't stop mental chatter in order to meditate. You meditate so as to let go of the mental chatter. You don't have to attain all of the things that need to be done in order to practice simply being. You practice simply being to recognize that everything is already done. It's just fine as it is. And as you come out of your meditation again, I'm the first to acknowledge, yeah, you're going to have to cook the rice if you're going to eat the rice. It's like a concession to being in form. But it doesn't obviate, it doesn't eliminate the, the ultimate truth of who you are, an eternal being to develop that awareness is to practice being mindful, mindful being. To be aware <laughs> of what's unfolding before you in the present moment without judgment. And that's the other part. To do this without judgment. Judgment. Why judge? Again, how much of our judgment comes out of anxiety and worry and, and doubt and nervousness? I mean, don't you sometimes find yourself feeling like you don't belong here, like you're some sort of invader and you're in perpetual danger? And if it's not danger 
as our ancestors knew from living in the jungle. It's the danger of, well, what would people think if I wore this to work? (laughs) What would people say if I wore this to church? What would people say if I grew my hair long because I feel like it? And why do we care? Isn't it possible to love them regardless? And if they're upset and trying to upset you, to recognize that they're suffering and have some compassion for their suffering and realize that that's life in form is to suffer, uh, to endure the conflict that we might learn from adversity. What are we learning? Most of us, I'm afraid, are learning just to hold on. And that requires that we judge things as basically, the basic judgments are what? Good or bad, right? Right or wrong. Winners and losers, good guys, bad guys. Are you with us or against us? Are you on the bus or are you staying behind? And it's very binary. And this is a byproduct of anxiety and stress. The more anxious, stressed, apprehensive, nervous, worried, whatever word you want to use, we are, the more binary we are in our thinking. So creativity is blown out of the water. No multiple choices. No more than one right answer. Remember in school we had we had tests and sometimes if the multiple choice exam was really well written, they'd tell us, well, there's more than one right answer. You have to find the best right answer. Boy, that, to someone who's stressed or anxious or just a little bit nervous, that just, that's, that's just mind-blowing. What do you mean the best right answer? Some answers are more correct than others? Yeah. Well, I'm not comfortable in that kind of world. I'm more comfortable in a world where there are genders, two genders. There's a lot of of controversy, social conflict around. I mean, there have always been people that felt fluid in their gender, that were aware of. Native Americans called it the, the twin spirit or the two-spirit people. It's not that much of a stretch to, if you're a, a man, to consider that you have a softer side and feminine energies. And vice versa, that a woman can be strong and independent and assertive and, and uh, intelligent enough to you know, stand up for herself and defend herself and still be soft and gentle. Both of us, both genders, have access to all those energies. It's not that hard to understand that between black and white, there are not just shades of gray, there are rainbows of options and alternatives. We did a class a few weeks ago on the middle way, also known as the third way. That's where you begin to break apart this binary nonsense that comes out of fear. 
hey, you're either with me or against me. It goes beyond gender. It goes to uh, magnetic polarity. Everything is energy. Everything vibrates. So everything has a peak and a trough, a yin and a yang, an ebb and a flow, a full moon and a new moon. And it's like riding a bike. As your legs go up and down, back and forth, your feet go around and around. So always recognize in and out, back, even your breathing in and out is really round and round. See, it's cyclic. Everything cycles. Everything vibrates. That's where we get the sense of polarity. But don't ignore the middle. The permutations, the variations, the options. Now we're becoming less judgmental. Because instead of there's only two ways, and we disagree, and I know I'm right, so therefore you must be wrong, part of binary thinking is this belief that all differences are opposites. You do not want to live in a world <laughs> in that self-imposed prison of believing that anything that's different is not only opposite, but if it's opposite, it's in opposition. It opposes you. It's out to get you just because it's different. And then this leads to, well, there's only Republicans and Democrats we only have two political parties. We only have two economic systems. Did you know that? Either monopoly capitalism or tyrannical communism. Nothing in the middle, right? Of course, there is a lot in the middle, but those who are anxious and fearful, attempting to, you know, expressing their human doingness rather than just being, they're coming out of so much fear and anxiety that they miss the middle. Constantly judging. Constantly judging. And don't you feel judged? Before we look at the extent to which we judge others and events and circumstances and conditions as good or bad or right or wrong, just take a look at how it feels to be judged. not fun, is it? Part of it's because I don't know what they're thinking. Well, do you need to? Why do you need to know what they're thinking? Why does it matter? Is it not a substitute for a failure to understand yourself? Does it not make sense that the more each of us understands ourselves the less it matters what other people think. Know thyself. That's the Greek wisdom, the ancient Greek wisdom. Confucius, at about the same time, about 500 BC, said the same thing in China. So it's not, it's not solely Western. <laughs> uh, Confucius said it this way, uh, one who knows others is wise, but one who knows himself or herself is enlightened. Good to know others, best to know yourself. Right? Same wisdom, east and west, from 
2,500 years ago and probably before that, but there was no written language, so nobody could write it down. So we peg a lot of these philosophies to that period around 500 BC, where people started writing stuff down east and west. If you don't like how it feels to be judged, then why judge others? Why put them through that? Just love them as they are, forgive them, keep letting go, and be more concerned with yourself, your higher self, your true self, the human being, rather than the separated self, the individual who is always doing and which is the cause of all of our problems. Do you know that? Are you aware of that? Can you remember my sense of being a separated self, an individual, which obviously has a sense of truth to it. There is a relative degree of truth about being this body, living in this body, living in this form, in a world of separated forms. That's relatively true, but it's not absolutely true. Like time itself is relatively true. We got a meeting on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock Pacific time. But time is an illusion. It's a convention. It's uh, the distance between uh, events. <laughs> you know. So... Time is relatively true, but it's absolutely false. If there's only now. So we can acknowledge that, like Shakespeare said, we're players in a drama, that I've got a role to play as Michael Benner, uh, acting out my thoughts and feelings, doing my best to get by, trying to keep it together trying to find more peace and love and, and understanding and, and justice in the world, trying re to, to redeem it, to lift evil and fear and negativity and into love and harmony and that which is good and true and beautiful. I'm just saying there's something more, there's something much bigger. When we acknowledge the reality of the present moment, the non-reality of the past and the future, this eternal unfolding, the infinity and the eternal nature of now, we acknowledge that and stop judging everything. I say to myself, it's just the way I remember it. Uh, this may have value for you and may not, but I, I like to remind myself, judging is for traffic lights. You know, that yellow, I call it an orange light. Everybody tells me it's yellow. I'm colorblind. That yellow light, do you step on the brake or do you step on the gas or do you just roll through it? Depends. You have to judge. Sometimes you have to judge. Rules are made to be broken. Even spiritual rules are <laughs> made to be broken. You know, there's so much in Buddhist philosophy about the desire nature being the cause of all of our suffering. But if you desire not to desire, 
it gets so convoluted. Here you are desiring not to desire. So uh, sometimes we just find ourselves in a hall of mirrors and everything seems a reflection and we can't find the primary source. The human being, not doing, being, just simply existing in the moment without judgment, free from judgment, learning to accept, which simply means acknowledge reality. Acceptance is not the end of things. It's not surrender or giving up. Acceptance means to acknowledge the reality of the present moment. Now, if you want to leave it at that, or modify it, or change it, or heal it, or fix it, or improve it, fine, but you've got to accept and acknowledge the reality of it before you do any of that. To believe acceptance is giving up, throwing in the towel, that's it, I can't do anything about it. Who am I? Just one little person. Then you get really cynical and sarcastic. That's not what acceptance means. So mindfulness includes acceptance. This is the reality of where we are right now. Watch it. Watch it unfold. I know there's a lot of stress and anxiety about Tuesday in the, in the primary elections. Uh, you'd be brain dead if you weren't concerned about the outcome. But I'm going to tell you right now, the outcome is going to be mixed. It's not going to be all one thing or another. Like everything, it will be mixed. There will be some wonderful things for you that come out of Tuesday, though it'll probably be Thursday before you know it, and some scary as hell things. So, I'm tempted to say brace yourself, but I don't really want you to brace yourself. <laughs> I want you to let go of the tendency to brace yourself and accept what comes. Again, nature doesn't hurry. Nature never hurries. Nature takes her time, and yet everything gets done. That's a nice place to leave it, I think. Everything gets done in nature in its own time. 